0: Welcome Pathfinders to Find the Path Podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path after party 58.
1: Oh man. I'm getting There's
0: a
2: lot of after parties, y'all. Yeah,
1: we're we're creeping up on 60. We should buy ourselves a cake, like an over-the-hill cake when we hit 16. <laughs>
3: <laughs> over the pyramid.
1: Over the pyramid cake. Over the pyramid huh? Over the oh, pyramid.
3: <laughs> it's better to be over the pyramid than buried under it. That's true. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a good point, actually.
0: That that is that is a very very good point.
2: This this may have to actually happen when we wrap like the final episode or something. We'll get a we, sh- we should we should get cake. like
0: a pyramid shaped cave. Yeah, like a pyramid. Yeah. cake. Mm. that would be so cool. There we go. Well, during this after party, we will be covering episodes one seventy two, one seventy three, and one seventy four. So in one seventy two. Uh, the doorkeepers were fighting, and I hope I'm saying this correctly. It, it was one of the, the golem creatures, the Han Shepsu.
3: Uh, that's how I pronounced oh, yeah. it, but honestly, my pronunciations are not necessarily always the best. Well, so. Looking
0: the at it boys. from a phonetic standpoint, Han Shepsu seems okay, or it'd be Han Shepsu, but I feel like Egyptians would pronounce it Han. I feel
3: Han's like right. Egyptians would know. say Han, because Han sounds like it's some sort of combination Egyptian I, slash. Like Swedish.
0: I just like Han, Han because Shepsu. it makes me think of Han Solo. <laughs> Han Solo.
3: Okay.
2: The, uh, suddenly, I'm thinking the Han Shepsu is the newest line from IKEA. Oh my
1: God. Oh Man, <laughs> build your own friend. You change their heads out. It's a whole.
2: <laughs> yes. The the Han Shepsu. The build. The build your own doll. I built a friend.
1: Well, Han Shepsu did not last
0: very long because once he got in between Citra and Sudi, we pretty much took him down in, like, what, two rounds? It was
4: not even a round. It it was
2: not even a full round.
4: Masika (laughs) didn't get a turn. Yeah, Masika
2: didn't even get (laughs) a turn, which is one of those, like, weird fights that you run into where it probably should have been more difficult, but we were just, like, in the right place at the right time to just really wreck it.
0: I just always forget how much I love Opportunist. That's Because uh, the, the first time that I started using that was in our, our Serpent Skull game where me and Heather would wreck face.
2: Well, yeah. because, okay, so here's what it was. It was both of you having opportunists. So your oh. opportunist triggered yeah. her opportunist.
1: Opportunist party. Yeah, it was like, meanwhile, me and Rick would just like, we do one thing or we don't get turns, all depending on how well we roll. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: It was fine though. But uh, the, the Han Shepsu was down the hall from the sculpting chamber, which was kind of an unconventional sculpting chamber because no sculpting was actually taking place. Yeah.
3: No sculpting was taking place. Eh? You could,
1: really, it was because like they, they froze their had, model. Yeah. They, oh, was that just the they model? They were just the
3: model. I think oh, yeah. the idea was they
1: froze okay. the model and then they. Because we thought originally it was like super evil bad, like making people into statues, but then it was like actually they just made them in the statues temporarily. And then they unstatued them once they had made their sculpture. Yeah, ah. but the
4: relic didn't unstatue them. True.
1: True. Yeah. There was a secondary unstatuing.
2: <laughs> so so your your sculptor so assuming, has to either be a wizard or have a wizard on hand to unpetrify them after it's done. I will okay.
3: point out that they uh, they do clarify here. Well, two things actually on the idea behind this. One, uh Stone to Flesh requires a fortitude save or die.
2: Oh, that's true. Oh, that's right.
3: So still very risky for getting a really good sculpture. Two, the last sentence when they talk about this is, uh, once finished with a sculpture, the ancients would either cast stone to flesh or simply dispose of the statue.
1: Oh. 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 (laughs) Our initial instinct was correct. Yeah. So,
2: okay, so they're getting people in being like, you just have to be a model. Time will pass instantaneously. You'll not even notice it. And then in the end, they're just like, and into the garbage heap with you.
1: I guess they didn't always do people. Sometimes they did like, Plants Other or whatever, stuff, but yeah. I mean, yeah, still, and I
3: know it's kind of an instantaneous thing, but I always imagine it's kind of like Han Solo coming out of the carbonite thing where you're just uh, all yeah. like sweaty and shaky as <laughs> you like fall out.
0: I can't out. see anything.
3: Well, I mean, technically, it doesn't cause the blindness, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, from there, we moseyed on down the hallway to a creepy room full of canoptic jars, mm-hmm. uh, and a equally creepy painting on the far wall of some It was
2: a relief. It was a ba relief.
0: Right? Oh, it was a ba relief, relief of uh, monk-like characters swallowing nasty bugs.
1: I want to say Sages. Sages, the only reason we think that that is super creepy is because we are westerners that don't eat bugs. Yes. People eat bugs all the but time. I, I feel like the point.
0: silverfish is, is equally creepy around the world. Maybe, maybe not.
1: You know, you say
2: that, but there are people who eat like centipedes and stuff.
0: Centipedes are a little different; those got some meat on them. Silverfish are, are spindly.
3: Also, as a rule of thumb, most places don't eat them live.
0: That's true. That's yeah, also true. but, uh, but j- I don't know. There's just something about a silverfish. Like
1: if you Google it, it just it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh yeah, no, I don't want to eat a bug. But-
2: I will I will go behind the behind the screens on my personal reaction to like silverfish and eating insects is always ew gross.
1: Yeah, it is gross. I don't, I'm
2: sure Rick probably took out some of the ew grosses and you know half-wretching sounds of me just being like, oh, this is so gross.
0: Yeah, I grew up watching Fear Factor with my dad, so it never oh, really. Oh, Fear Factor! Uh, that was the show I was trying to think of.
3: Less
0: creepy, but um.
3: Just made me think is- of the Klingons, like when Riker has to go on and be oh, like the uh, yes. second in command of a Klingon warbird, and he's just oh. sitting there like, okay, yeah, I can eat some of these bugs. This is fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my question was in the movie Anaconda. <laughs>
1: is the silverfish what gets stuck in that guy's throat?
3: I. F- this pause. is. Okay. <laughs>
1: We're referencing Anaconda starring, what was it? Ice Jennifer Cube and JLo. And,
3: and Ice and, Cube, yeah.
1: Uh, Ice Cube and John Voight. Okay. <laughs> And we're asking about a scene from this movie as though we've recently watched it. I don't even remember there being I, silverfish. I literally yeah. haven't seen that movie in over a
2: decade. I remember the, seeing-
1: the
0: quote unquote love interest character like was going scuba diving in the river to, to find something, I guess. I don't remember what. And then some, some bug thing gets into his, his breathing apparatus and they have to like cut a hole in his neck and get it out like oh, a tracheotomy.
2: I don't, That's awful. I do not remember that. And I don't I remember don't that. think
3: so. But-
0: I don't know. For some reason, that when I when I saw like when I googled silverfish because I was like I can't remember what these look like and I saw that I was like that feels like what what got the guy in Anaconda. I don't know why my brain went to Anaconda other than apparently that scene
1: traumatized me as a child. I imagine.
2: I mean, that scene would traumatize. (laughs) I just think about books
1: like silverfish Mm scuttle into books and then you open the book and it's like a horrible surprise.
2: It's
0: true.
1: They're
2: expecting a pressed flower, but instead you get a silverfish.
1: (laughs) Well, anyway.
0: Uh, we explored that a little bit, and Hollis decided to uh, open one of them—the yeah. <laughs> one that was radiating the strongest magical aura.
3: Strong necromancy. Uh,
0: yeah. When yeah. the rest of the party was
4: like, "Please do not."
0: Uh, yeah. There, there was, there was a not a consensus on that, and then the thing tried to climb up her leg and go down her throat, and she proceeded to
1: squash it. Well, I stepped on it, but then it just died.
0: Yeah. We were we were less lucky in the next room, though. Yeah, uh, the next right, room. right, let's
1: start. Let's stay in this room because I want to know, like, if I had eaten that. What all right? What would have happened if Hollis had eaten the? Because I had fish? a short debate with myself. I was like, Hollis is probably eaten bugs.
3: I I won't answer that question.
1: No. Because
3: I'll answer a question that no one asked. Okay. This is an interesting situation. Sometimes I get a lot. I get emails in from people, and they ask me a lot about GM prep and all the rest of that. And I talk about how. Yeah, you know, sometimes you can only prep for certain situations. My general assumption is that all of you would take a look at this and go, a whole uh Mad Max thing of like that's bait, and then just decide yes, to like exactly. turn and like walk out. <laughs> <Just exactly laughs> Which is exactly what Which was pretty on Masika point thought. for three
4: quarters
2: of us.
3: <laughs> and so I took a second to look over what happens if the jar is just open but is not consumed. Mm-hmm. And it does not answer it. Oh. And so I then thought about it for a minute and went, okay, let's just move along with things. Because I ran into a situation where I didn't necessarily immediately have the answer, and for reasons we won't get into here, I couldn't really take the time out to, like, dig during that episode as we were on a bit of a time crunch during that recording. Hmm. And so I went back afterwards, and I checked around online, and I found the answer. Oh, cool. Ergo, I cannot answer that question right now. Because what
4: happens hasn't happened yet.
3: Because Hmm. there's still a a tenuous something in the ether
1: Hmm. waiting. Uh Oh, So was he a... I'm saying he because we got the information about that guy. Was he different than the other ones, like the moderate ones? Do they do different things? Perhaps they do. Hmm.
3: The interesting thing about pretty much the entirety of these two rooms is that it's one of those rare occasions where you're not really permitted a way to gain more knowledge. Yep. Like Hmm. short, short of Masika just walking in there, picking up one of the jars and casting Vision. This may literally be the only place that the Shori magic still exists. Ah, oh. As such, it is basically unique. It cannot be identified.
1: I hate when they do that, though, because then you never get to find out.
3: But it also makes it interesting because sometimes not having, not being able to just go, oh, okay, well, I bounced to die, and here's all the regurgitated information, and instead just having to go, okay, well, this is what the mural shows us. This is what this other mural shows us. Like, it is that you're just sitting there stroking your chins like, what were they doing here?
4: Yeah. Bad things that are bad.
3: Definitely in the next room. Bad things. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It felt almost like the the purpose in each room was different, even if the technically the like it was the same creatures, but like what was happening with the creatures was different, which we kind of find out uh, later on after uh, we enter the second room and all the canoptic jars. Well, after we got cold and decided to leave the room, all the canoptic jars fell off the wall, and sent a bunch of swarms
1: at us. Yeah, was that like a trap or something? Well, no, because you didn't a get haunt. to roll. trap. Was it a haunt? So
3: it's interesting. It is not a magical trap. It can be most closely described as being a haunt. Although mechanically speaking, it is not directly a haunt either. Hmm. In that it you can't channel positive energy or anything like that to destroy the effect. Weird. Oh, it is in essence the the magical powers of all of these things. It's kind of like an additional one off power that these swarms possess. Oh. Where uh, the moment you enter the room, it starts a ten a ten round countdown clock.
1: Oh, weird.
3: And oh. then you know every round it gets a little bit darker. Uh, you guys didn't really get to uh, to enjoy all of it when it hits five rounds. Uh, all the creatures in the room must succeed at a will save or be shaken. Oh. Uh, it's a fear effect for the next one d six minutes. Oh, once it dang. reaches one round a pulse of terror washes through the room and all creatures yeah. must succeed at a will save or be paralyzed with fear for 1d6 rounds
1: oh well, the crawling fear was an appropriate name for that room wow yeah. yeah
2: so we we really lucked out leaving that room
1: and yeah at which point yeah. those things bust out and you
4: are paralyzed with fear which lets them immediately they can four out action
3: to immediately crawl <laughs> into your oh, mouths Yeah, That's so, so gross. gross and then Yee. possess you so, but
1: uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully we didn't have to deal with that and Yikes. it was all fine. Masika almost died, but it all worked out okay.
3: The combat with that, it does get back to, you guys haven't fought swarms in a while.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some oh, of yeah. us can't really do a whole lot. If I didn't yep. have that helm, I would have been
1: useless. That was a great time to use that helm.
3: It's kind of, it's interesting getting back to that because I think I I made a crack about how it's like, oh yeah, swarms, that's what I should have been using against you guys. And it's like, really, I learned that in book one.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's still a problem. We have not compensated.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the problem is, like, half the party has area effects, like magic caster folks. That's cool. But the other half, you can't stab a diminutive, like, swarm to death or poke it or punch it.
3: It's the challenge with the swarm.
1: So Mm -hmm. what happens if those things get down your throat? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Did we find that out?
3: Well, no, we were
1: guessing based on hell wasps.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, because, like, hell wasp can possess you. And, like, they can turn you into a meat puppet, basically, until they eat through your entire corporeal flesh and you just fall to pieces.
3: Yeah, the very long story short is if you are helpless, they can enter your body by crawling into your mouths, mouth Ew. and other orifices.
4: Uh, oh! Oh, nope, that's oh no. Like that. no!
2: No, no, no!
3: Oh. Uh, it's a process that takes one minute. Still no! The swarm can embody, it can abandon the body getting time as a full-round action. Any attack against the host deals half damage to the uh, cinovath swarm as well. Although the swarm's DR resistances and immunities may negate some, of, some or all of this damage, which is why it has damage reduction, despite the fact that it's a swarm and is therefore immune to most physical weapons, is yeah. for the purpose of that. Yeah, once it burrows into you, it causes all sorts of damage.
0: Nasty. Yeah,
4: That's real gross.
3: If it inhabits a living victim, it can choose to neutralize the effect of its own poison and control the victim's movement and actions as if using Dominate Monster, uh, while inside of the victim's body it deals 1 or 2d4 points of constitution damage per hour until the victim dies at which point they're animated as a zombie of the appropriate oh, so size it's, it's
2: very similar to hell wasps yeah, yeah. Ugh. gross That's... aren't you glad you didn't swallow that bug Once they
3: manage to inhabit a body, the swarm immediately attacks any non-infested bodies. Once no enemies remain, the surviving infested hosts stagger out of the slave trenches and then into the deserts beyond, eager to explore the new world that they've been unleashed upon. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. As a fun side note, uh, again, as this magic is almost unique to this place, these creatures are, in fact, basically unique, which means that you more or less just... uh, Annihilated entire species.
0: Well, I. I think well, that's some species okay.
3: deserve to be annihilated. <laughs> they.
0: I'm just started saying. It.
2: They started it. <laughs> we didn't start this war, but we're darn sure going to finish it.
0: Yeah. Well,. After we dealt with the nasty swarms, we made our way to the chamber of the sacrifiers, which mm-hmm. uh, was inactive. Sudi kind of saved our butts in the next room with his uh, fancy schmancy uh, tremor sense. Tremor sense, oh, so cool. Because he was able to detect movement within the sarcophagi.
2: Which was just a lucky chance that I went to go look yeah. over that anyway.
0: Because mm-hmm. uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, but if Citra or Hollis had gone too far in that room, those things would have woken up, right?
3: If you stick to the very center of the room, you're okay.
2: okay. Oh, it's like that room in the sightless sphinx with the uh the guys with the laser vision that kills you? The Bodox. Um, yeah. The Bodox yes. that were chained up.
3: Except for in this case they climb their way out of there out of there and they beat you down with their What do you guys have? Three attacks at plus twenty to hit for three D six plus thirteen points of damage each. So they're supposed Ow. to
1: keep us. Away from
4: the walls?
3: No,
2: from the room.
4: From the room. Like if you spread out through, they'll attack
0: because you're not authorized to be in there. Yeah, because when when Citrus started getting too close to the map, it also started activating.
3: Well, that was me with the assumption that you were going to fan out and look over the map. If you're trying to activate the trenches by act- activating the sacrifiers here, you have to walk off of that central area because you okay. have to walk from one side to the other of yeah. the map on the far side. You would then mm-hmm. trigger them at that point.
2: Cool. Yeah, and we, we got lucky that Masika beelined it straight forward so she didn't trigger it, and then I detected it before anybody else went uh, yep. fanning out. So it was just sheer dumb luck that we avoided that.
4: I yeah. thought it was avoiding Masika because of Chisisek, because she walked the whole length of the map and inspected the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, okay. I'm so you sure also had that. It. Yeah. Okay. I, we I, we had postulated that, but I wasn't entirely sure where Masika was on the map.
1: She of was all map. over the map.
2: Yep. The map with the map in the map.
1: But yeah, and we had the daughter. It made me think like we found that little Kasha stuff and the the wand of bless. Oh, or the poker makes yeah. me yeah. think of like a bingo dauber <laughs> so that he could bingo daub <laughs> you know, the sacrifier. Yes.
2: You know, that's a, that's a great time to plug the uh, the funny people on our Discord who put bingo cards out for the, for this <laughs> oh, yeah. show.
3: I want to... I'll go ahead and throw this out here as a as a deep cut behind the scenes. So I poked around for a while online and there is a mistake in this book. <laughs> and it is specifically that Chisisek tells you how to activate the Sacreferes. When you get to this section, however, it has a completely different activation for the Huh?
4: <laughs>
2: because it's between two books?
3: No, it's it's all in the same book. Oh, weird. But apparently they decided to change the activation for the Sacreferes between one part of the book and the other.
1: Oh. Well, what was it? What's the other way?
3: Uh the other way is you have to find a separate key which is basically like a wand of lightning bolt or cast lightning spells on uh, the Masika's wall to like covered. draw between the various points. And so I think that that was probably the original intention for what I can kind of vague poking around vaguely gather poking around online and then they realized, well, what happens if you're dealing with a party that's like a rogue and two fighters and a ranger or something like that or yeah. like First a party that, that, that doesn't party have still arcane still spellcaster. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think they decided to change it to something that feasibly the party could just purchase and bring with them. Ah. In the okay. case of the anointing it with water. holy or unholy water.
1: But then they gave it to you anyway. In a hidden That's area. That's if you find
2: the cash. I guess yeah. so.
3: That is only if you specifically choose to search the walls and while searching the walls if you can make a DC 30 perception check. Hmm. Nice. So not everyone finds that. That's fair. I do want to throw one last thing out, actually, real quick before uh, I imagine we've moved on from this. I do appreciate that, like, for two rooms in a row, they give you named weapons. And I always yeah. like when they name weapons. Yeah. Because you also found the little, the headknocker set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you found the uh, uh, vortex, the sword here.
1: And we found some, what was in that little alcove, like, universal solvent or something? It was Gooby gone.
3: Yeah, yeah Universal so I, Solvent. Yeah, universe, and, yeah uh, Universal that Solvent. That will be
1: helpful if we get stuck in mud. I don't know. Yeah. No, mud wouldn't help you, but a well, foot bag like or yeah. goo.
0: Who knows? We don't know what this Plague Queen's got up her sleeve.
2: That's fair. Maybe
0: she has goo and we'll de-goo her. Possibly. She'll probably be gooing us. That's but uh, thankfully, we did not have to fight the Kaunakas. We found the cool secret stash. Uh, and then we decided to teleport out, but uh, <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't go quite to plan. And
1: there was a sandstorm,
0: and it was
2: crazy. It it was one of those things that was bound to eventually happen just by the sheer luck of the dice. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so episode 174, we found ourselves at a completely different obelisk in the middle of a sandstorm, and no (laughs) Tefniju.
1: Yeah, but that's all fine. um,
0: We sent him a message, though. It was fine. He he met us where at the, I don't remember which obelisk we were at. Ma'at. Ma'at, that's right. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, he said he can go ahead and take us to the Aku Minute, which is not actually too far from where we were at. Yeah.
2: I found it that, interestingly, like, it, that felt very much like a failing forward maneuver from you, Rick, where we happened to be at one of the spires that was closer to where we needed to go next. Hmm. Or did you actually roll for that?
3: I actually bounced a die because there are 11 of them, so I just bounced a d10 and chose one of the ones that wasn't the one that you targeted.
2: Cool. Oh, okay. I, it, I, it <laughs> felt very much like you intentionally chose that one so that we would fail, you know, kind of fail forward and and be okay. The dice nah, tell a story, does, man. The dice, the dice tell the story, man.
0: Dice do tell the story. Well, as we were making our way to the Aquamanit, uh, we uh, ran into some really helpful visitors, and by helpful, I mean totally horrible, yeah, awful like, creatures uh called Ashimentals. Yeah, we heard uh, about this. Yeah, those were were weird, bony, uh, crate. I don't know. They were very creepy looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of cool, but creepy looking. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully you decided he was going to help us in this fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, they aren't there
4: for guardianship of the vault. So, are they? Yeah, they're uh, they're
2: like a, a weird offshot offshoot byproduct of the way that this place was yeah. created.
0: I I did get to use my my helm's fancy ability that uh like it burns undead creatures. That was fun.
2: Yes, that was cool.
0: It didn't yeah. really do much in the grand scheme of things because of how many hit points those guys had, but I, I do imagine they're just like you know, But
2: right it's, point it's like, it was what? A D6 of damage? Yeah, was just a D6. I mean, a free D6 of damage is a free D6 of damage. So,
1: yeah.
3: you know. It's true. And, uh, that won't be for the audience, but I'll show uh, all of you a full picture of them. They're yeah, very cool. They. It's interesting. The full body of them remind me of like four-armed version of the um, can't remember the technical name for it. The converted Turians from uh, Marauders. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think they are. Yeah. From are uh, Mass Effect 3. I think. They just kind of give me that vibe.
2: They also kind of give me yeah. Necron vibes from Warhammer 40k.
3: I think it's maybe the reverse jointed legs that are tilting me towards uh, Turians. The, the Turian, yeah. 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 Also, I think they might have like finger bones for their feet.
1: Because yeah. their
3: feet also look like Why hands. Why not?
1: I mean, I just love an, a creature that has skulls, multiple skulls for its skull and multiple skulls for its shoulder and like
3: Skulls for its knees. I think its
1: kneecaps
4: are also skulls. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Skulls for all its joints.
4: That's Mm -hmm. not how joints work, (laughs) y'all. I bite you with
3: my knee.
2: I mean, to be (laughs) fair, Um, there's no no, no no connective tissue either joining those all together. It's all magic. It's magic.
0: Magic. Magic.
3: So, and another fun thing since they are basically unique to this location as well. Yeah, they're cool. cool. It does state that they can occur other places where there's massive amounts of death and elemental energy. Mm. But really, on Galarian, that's here. Yeah. 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 Well, so, thank,
0: thankfully we we did okay in that fight, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a lot, I
2: lot mean, worse. I mean, if we had all failed a couple of rolls of those breath weapons, I'm sure that would have oh, hurt a heck yeah, of a lot.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah I, tough I you also to give appreciate them all being different elements, so you can't yeah. just resist energy like fire or whatever. <laughs> no. True. Yeah, no. I had
0: some good sneak attack rolls in there, so that oh, was Oh yeah, funny. no,
2: that, that was some good times.
0: Um, but after that, we headed to the Guardian Vault. Mm-hmm. Um, but ran into a slight hiccup you in tried that to dick um, up a Citra may have poked a dinosaur with a <laughs> shovel.
1: I just like that he was trying to take a nap
0: and we just started digging on him. I didn't think
4: the dinosaur was here. Like from the way, I don't know, Rick was talking about it, I thought it was still with Hocatep. So it being here threw me off. Because oh, I also no, don't I, think Tefniju told us about it.
3: I will make a statement and then I'll make a defense.
4: <laughs> okay. The statement
3: is, he didn't. That may have been on me.
4: The defense is, <laughs> oh,
3: okay. I forgot. And maybe Tefniju <laughs> also forgot because this thing doesn't do much.
1: Hey, he's just a guy, you know? <laughs> it's,
2: an, it's undead. It doesn't actually need to sleep. So, I mean, apparently it just goes into like hibernation mode you get bored, for a while you sleep. and then, then you forget you about do. it because it's plugging up a hole that you like to be up. It just like
0: zins out, you know, So, I'll, fine.
3: I'll edit it back in where the thing popped out and then Tefne just snapped his fingers like. That's where he was. And then <laughs> sinks
2: into the ground. Oh man, I forgot. <laughs> None of us were truly expecting to fight it right then. That yeah. was probably for and darn we're like, sure.
1: And we need to go put the thing that makes it kill <laughs> Yeah, because we goodbye. didn't go back and do that. Well, like, uh, <laughs> we're, we're
0: going to go remedy that. Well, hey, to be but- fair, yeah, we'll Tepna's we'll
3: t- t- would not have known where it was.
1: Maybe it roams.
3: Uh. Yeah, I mean, because it wanders all over the, the trenches. It's just nothing, Tephnes. You ever really deals with?
1: He doesn't know everything. He's just a guy.
0: Well, it'll it'll be interesting to see if we actually manage to escape. Well, I'm really <laughs>
3: hoping
2: we
0: do. Hey, I prepared that teleport, so my mage man- mansion wasn't a complete waste. Uh, I guess. So hopefully uh, we can get away. Uh, but I think we should move on to emails in the meantime. Exciting. Email number one. This is from Haley from Greenville, South Carolina. In parentheses not particularly green
3: South Carolina
2: Not particularly green you know it's what not comes particularly the Carolinas?
0: green I I don't know I've never actually been to Carolina's the Carolina. on the coast Yeah It is on the coast yeah
2: But it's not particularly green Catawba
0: That's not a
1: desert either <laughs> It's
4: not a desert it's a coastal
2: city <laughs> he said not particularly green and I was like I mean we're in a desert that's not particularly green
3: <laughs> If you type in what is South Carolina known for Google tells me it's beaches, golf courses, and historic districts.
1: All right, so where's the golf beaches? equivalent in... Uh... Golf was invented in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, so where's Scotland? Five Kings Mountains. <laughs> five Kings Mountains it is. All right. That's where the dwarves... I mean, it's not green, so...
3: <laughs> I, I just love the idea of some dwarves just sitting there. It's like, it's like okay, so, you know, here's the here's the ball and everything else, and the hole is on that peak over there. <laughs> and they just start like whacking it across like gorgeous.
0: <laughs> All I can oh, hear man. now is Robin Williams in my head. Yeah. He I'm so happy. And how many times do you do it? 18 times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is uh, hands one.
0: down one of the greatest. I, comedy I skits actually got ever. to
2: see him live once when I was a kid, oh, and he did that. It was so good. He's oh.
0: amazing. Yep. Yep. I miss him.
3: So Haley from the Five Kings Mountains.
0: Haley from the Five Kings Mountains says. It is with a deep and abiding shame that I compose this email.
2: Okay. What'd you do?
0: (laughs) I listen to your podcast while working overnight, usually within minutes of a new episode being released, and each and every episode, I bombard my coworker, who is also a player in two of my ongoing Pathfinder games, with all that I have gleaned from the fantastic play and expert GMing from that week. So far, so good. (laughs) He has shamed me to no end over my completely inexplicable reluctance to back you on Patreon. Uh. Uh. (laughs) Ah! Oh God, I love. I don't know if that's particularly shameful. No longer will I suckle at the mechanical catfish teat of genius while
1: offering nothing in return.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So weird! Oh my!
0: <laughs> Let me repeat this sentence just because just it was so great. No longer will I suckle at the mechanical catfish teat of genius while offering nothing in
1: return. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my. Wow. You did. You offered us that sentence. Yeah, you
2: offered us a good laugh. <laughs> that
1: is a sentence that has never before been written. That yeah. is. That
0: is w- amazing sentence, Wait. and I need this to be on our website somewhere. Yeah, we need to put that as yeah. a quote
3: underneath our Patreon
2: Yeah, like, this
3: is such a great pr- podcast.
4: Oh, my god. Yep, be
3: like Haley. Stop suckling on catfish teeth, apparently.
1: <laughs> oh <my> god, that <laughs> phrase oh is not god. as good. They're,
3: they're uh, not right. even <laughs> mammals. It's
1: <laughs> <laughs> mechanical. Oh
0: uh, this last faded tale after party and the running gag of Patreon plugs sealed the deal in the yes. words of Philip J Fry shut up and take my money shut up
2: and I'm take really my run. money Excellent.
0: you get me through the night and with every critical giggle every swing every snoot boop every stacked rock stowed scorpion mm-hmm. and chicken rant yeah. keep awesome. up the good work but from now on do so ever so slightly richer
2: oh thank you, <laughs> thank you.
0: was wonderful
4: Yes. I just that need sentence. Rick with the "Oh my!"
1: and it was Armor's voice as like a ringtone.
3: <laughs> and, and thank you for backing us on Patreon. We yes, appreciate all we, the support.
1: Yes, we do. We're trying to get to five thousand currently. If we I, are,
3: I think that's the uh, Rachel gets back her husband tier. It, it is, that that is the back <laughs> Rachel gets her husband. husband.
0: I don't, People don't realize how much RuPaul I sit and watch in my living room while he's editing because I have to be quiet while well, he's don't, editing. Don't tell them that it'll cut you off from RuPaul. That might have an adverse effect.
3: Hey, I've already true. watched them
0: all and Jordan um, hasn't got me the new seasons yet. Yeah.
3: Patreon stretch goal. Rick watches RuPaul. <laughs> oh,
0: that would be fun. My. <laughs> I mean, RuPaul's uh, good. What's
4: wrong it with that? Good. It just doesn't seem something that would be Rick's style. Not that no, there's anything wrong yeah. with it. But.
3: Uh, no. I'll live tweet my thoughts.
1: Oh my yes.
3: God, yes! Oh no. I'll have to make hey, you Trance watch the Trish Bianca goal. Del Rio no, That will be the
1: first thing Rick does on his first full-time day, is he will watch an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race and live tweet his thoughts. Yep.
3: That's at the oh, 500 gosh. or five thousand dollars tier. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man. All right, email number two is from Mike from Vergless Processional in the Plane of Air. That, that is
3: awesome. Very nice. Very specific. I, I hope
0: that I pronounced that correctly.
3: Hi, Mike. There.
0: hello hi find the path crew and greetings from Verglas processional in the plane of air assuming you haven't chosen a place for toronto i'm I mean, pretty sure the plane of air was, i mean we, was we canada. did put the
2: entire country of canada in the plane of air so sure. you just <laughs> picked the city there. it's
0: all good yeah yep. he says side note i chose it because of its wiki description as made from invisible frozen air which if you squint hard enough could be like all the glass skyscrapers that make up the downtown core of the city
1: <laughs> oh, Lovely. Hey, yeah, you know.
0: I think that's a wonderful image. Thank you so much for that, Mike. Yeah. I'm a longtime listener and first-time caller, and as of this writing, I'm mostly caught up on all your core podcasts, still a few eps behind in Rebels. Awesome. Mummy's Mask is the first podcast I listen to every week because I absolutely love how you guys have brought the story to life, not just with the material the AP gives, but the background flashbacks and side stories as well. Thank awesome. you. While I truly admire how polished and professional sounding your podcast has become, I am in utter awe at Rick's ability to weave said background and side story elements into the main narrative, and do so in such a way that anyone would be forgiven for thinking it was part of the AP. Bravo. Oh,
3: Oh, thank you. What did I learn last time? Yes, I work very hard.
0: There you go. (laughs) Yes. Good job. (laughs) And for the rest of the crew, which must include Ross, I truly appreciate your dedication to role play. Part of me understands that, as an audio entertainment program, you probably put a lot of effort into this aspect of the game. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. And even though my games are, well, not for public consumption, I secretly wish my players would react with the delight, horror, sadness, or satisfaction that you guys display. That's not to put down my players as we have as much fun around the virtual table as any gaming group does. But sometimes I wish a, quote-unquote, Matt Mercer effect for players existed so my players would ham it up a bit more. If nothing else, to fluff my own GM ego.
2: So here's the weird thing. We were like this before we were recording. This is just yeah. kind of how we are. So. We,
0: we have upped the role play, but we... Accents are we, new. Yeah, I was
2: going to say, we, we did up the role play, but our reactions and our involvement in the story and everything yeah. is pretty much organic like that was i just think kind of i was we the were. only
0: one that consistently did
1: accents before Well, because you like accents a lot i do i like did su- i
2: did some accents
1: the other thing is i think there might be a slight matt mercer effect for players if they listen to podcasts because i know that like before we were recording i took tips of how to be a better like player from podcasts i listen to so it yeah. may just be subtler i don't even listen to us i don't listen to us because it's weird
2: I I was there the first time. I don't need to listen to it again.
0: (laughs) I do just because it makes it easier to write the recaps.
2: Oh, oh, (laughs) actually, that's not true. I have listened to certain episodes when I want to see like how it turned out after the editing. Because sometimes I'm curious, like, oh, okay, did I come across like totally silly at that? Oh no, good.
3: Okay, good. I think it would be very interesting to listen back through the entirety of Mummy's Mask once we finish with the last recording.
0: Yeah, Mm. that would be interesting to see how our characters grew.
3: Like That'd be fun. once you once you have the entire view of like where it's going, and then be able to listen back, and it it's that odd thing where you can it's not lost to the ether. You can literally go back and re-experience the entire story.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you should wait though. I was like, I think I'm gonna wait like a month because I'm really good at forgetting everything that's ever happened to me. Yeah, and then I can re-listen you've it. Literally fresh. forgotten
0: movies we have watched together. I guess you say that.
2: No, it's definitely happened. <laughs>
0: Mike continues, for real, I cried legit tears during certain mortal events and eulogies across your various podcasts. While mm-hmm. slightly off topic, Jordan's Octavius moment upon the group's return to Rossler's coffer hit me hard. Seriously, hit me hard too, y'all. to you all.
3: It's true. Yeah. It's from our, uh, our Tyrant's Grasp actual play, now available on Patreon.
0: Yep.
1: Plug, plug.
0: <laughs> Mike says, though, with that praise, I bring tragic news. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Parentheses, okay, not really, and only for me. Okay. okay, I may need to stop listening to Mummy's Mask. <gasps> why? No. Uh-oh. Oh my God, that was so perfect because he put "Please insert your gas for dismay" here. <laughs> <laughs> I. Have t- why no, would you
4: Jordan stop is very
0: listening. good at stage
2: directions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that was great.
0: Oh, he says, "You see, I'm a player in a Mummy's Mask game, ah, and though we started ah, earlier than you guys, lately due to scheduling conflicts and other adult-like things, our progress has slowed to a crawl." When we started, we were about a book and a half ahead of you, and so listening to your podcast really helped to solidify the plot in my mind. Hmm. As I write this, Faded Tales Episode 7 has dropped, and my group is currently going through the location where I think you guys are headed to next. That 1.5 book lead has shrunk to maybe five pages. Oh!
3: That was a very slow progression, because, I mean, we've been going for... Ever. We're pushing on four years now. I'm very sad. Mask.
2: Well, I mean, if you don't have a great, we can adult meet things, regularly. Yeah. Yeah. You
3: know? if, if you're like, I, we can meet for one weekend every year. I
4: bet I bet it's very sad that he has to stop listening, not that yeah. it's very sad that they can't yeah. get together. But that's also sad in a different way. Yes. <laughs> it's all
1: sad. Two things. Yes. First thing, how polite of you to write us from the plane of air to tell <laughs> us that you're sad that you can't continue listening. Um, it's very <laughs> Canadian of you. Second of all... <laughs> Kidnap all of your friends and yes. lock them in a basement with you until you finish.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Going to say you got to do an so, order of the Amber Die
3: weekend and just, thing. Yeah,
4: just sequester yeah. yourselves away.
3: Funny yeah. enough, we have we as a podcast have talked about it wouldn't be a recorded thing, but we have talked about doing a, like a weekend escape where the five of us run away, get a cabin, and do like a long weekend or maybe a week retreat and just knock out Strange Aeons. Yeah, we never to it. got to finish
2: yeah. It. Yeah. Whereas,
4: yes. we just started book four. I thought it was book five. I it Was a you book. You guys,
3: no, you guys had just started book four.
0: Four. four. Oh, I yeah, thought we'd four. started book five.
3: So play yeah. nonstop and knock out three books in a week.
0: Whew! Mm, we'll see. <laughs> when you announced the faded tales, our GM and also fellow pathfolk cheered for the timely reprieve. But since then, we've only had one session, much to our chagrin. <laughs> oh, oh. Ouch! Oh.
2: That's awful.
0: Alas, that's gaming as an adult. Mummy's mask may have to become a treat to savor later. Oh. Hey, A pair of
1: questions
0: then you can binge it, that's true, and
3: you'll get surprised by this email once you finally hear it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A pair of questions. First is for Rick, primarily because I'm usually the GM, and so purely for my edification. Kay. A while ago, I tried to reverse engineer your monster knowledge check system by observing the kinds of questions that you were asking and the information Rick gave in response to those questions. Ooh. Before listening to Mummy's Mask, it had never occurred to any of us in my group to do knowledge checks like this. And educating these checks with Pathfinder's somewhat nebulous, quote-unquote, piece of useful information advice felt somewhat arbitrary and up to GM fiat. So here's the question, in two parts. What is your system for knowledge checks on monsters... Is it codified in some way or is it more based on gut feeling and whatever you feel is useful or some unspoken understanding of the group?
3: So funny enough, this is probably the question I get asked the most. And it is something that I've tried to write down on a couple of occasions. And then a combination of editing and all the rest of that gets in my way of ever sitting down and finishing this project. Because this is probably something I've been asked since we started the podcast.
2: Yeah, it comes up more or less every couple months
3: someone and i apologize because i can't remember off the top of my head who messaged me on discord which was the last time i got motivated and wrote like another page and a half basically trying to break down the entire system so very long story short it is uh the standard dc which is 10 plus the challenge rating of the creature 15 plus the challenge rating of the creature if i view the creature as being rare or 20 plus the challenge rating of the creature if i view the creature as being basically close to unique and that provides you one piece of useful information when you make the check. A lot of times, if it is a rare creature, the useful information is the creature type and subtype and all the rest of that. And then additional piece of information for every five beyond that. So basically following the standard rules and I kind of break it down into very wide categories and then have people drill down if I feel that they need to. So you know, wide categories is going. This creature has damage reduction and knowing what's damage reduction is a separate question and has undead traits that list off the dead, undead traits. I generally find what's its defensive abilities, offensive abilities, special abilities. And then if they need more information that you have them drilled down. So like under special attacks, I'll say it has spell-like abilities. Knowing what the spell-like abilities are is a separate question.
0: Mm-hmm. That actually leads into his side note. Side note number two. I have seemingly adopted many Rickisms when my Ooh. players do knowledge checks. For example, "quote unquote" knowledge the planes. No, it
3: is technically knowledge planes.
0: So <laughs> you may ask me X questions pertaining to the Y, or it possesses DR. Knowing what
1: overcomes this DR is another question. Except- is I think everyone that's ever listened to Rick say these things more than like a handful of times uses that as their default. I was going to say speech. people yeah. who've
2: seen me GM know that I have a lot of Rickisms because yeah. I, my GM voice is basically just Rick.
3: I'm pretty sure at this point you could take uh, my reading off the undead immunities and just make that a ringtone. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. What the heck is that ringtone?
0: He continues, (laughs) at this point my own system serves my group, but as an old grognard that grew up on the charts, I'd love some insight into how you go about parceling out monster knowledge. Hmm. Which is what I think you just said.
3: That's basically It's just... uh, Do it as wide categories and then just kind of drill down. So if you feel like you're giving too much information, more along the lines of if you feel like that someone should need to ask a question for clarification, then that's a separate question. So just saying, hey, this thing does have damage reduction. And a lot of times if damage reduction is its only thing, go ahead and give it to them. Like if they ask for special defenses and it's like a werewolf has damage reduction, here's silver. And then sometimes some creatures will have, uh, if you read the first paragraph or two of the description out to the players to describe what the creature is, if it's something iconic with the creature, a lot of times they'll get some information just based off of that. So, for instance, I think Trolls, that kind of states in their description of what they are, that they're vulnerable to fire.
0: Hmm. Well, second question is for the group I've recently started playing Owlcat Games Fantastic Wrath of the Righteous. Without so spoilers. Good. <laughs> Without spoilers, there's a companion you meet that is evil but never comes across as a mustache twirling villain. He fully acknowledges that he is, quote unquote, insufferable and makes no bones about it, simply living his life to maximum self gratification. <coughs> hedonism bot.
3: Um, <laughs> Ooh, how decadent. Oh,
4: he doesn't come out. That's actually one of my favorite NPCs, and he doesn't it really come be. off as Hedonism bot, but yeah. That is. I don't know. I just saw maximum self
0: gratification and maybe mm. the Hedonism bot. The characters I create tend to be some variation of goody-two-shoes, so this kind of characterization is intriguing to me. With the faded tales centered around mostly non-good-aligned characters, how do you approach playing such characters?
3: Ah, the classic playing evil.
4: I I actually hate it when evil people are portrayed as the mustache-twirling villains that don't give a crap about anybody else, because just because you're evil doesn't mean you can't work with a party, doesn't mean you can't have relationships, doesn't, you know, it's just... You care about what you care about, not necessarily anybody else.
1: Yeah, you know, usually it's like priorities are different, right? Like a good person yeah. might prioritize the well being of others. The evil person might not prioritize the well being of others. They don't really care. It's not like on their agenda to hurt people, it's just not a high priority for them either way. They prioritize the thing that they care about, which is typically, you know, themselves or whatever goal they have. And if people get hurt along the way, like, eh, needed to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, they also yeah. typically will have some kind of a redeeming quality. So really like kids or they just only harm bad guys. I'm thinking like Dexter, you know.
1: If you're gonna play with them in a party, sure.
3: Yeah, that gets into the, uh, one of my favorite tropes for villains, which is the the well-intentioned extremist. Mm. Yep, yep. It gets into the whole like Batman thing. If Batman just shot the Joker, how many lives would he save? And you get into that. Well, yeah. At some point, you get a character. I think uh, Ezreal in the Batman series is basically that, where it's just like, well, if I just killed these people, then you
0: know what Batman hey, what it. Batman could be do? a problem anymore. Batman could put a whole bunch of money into like community services and actually
1: help build up. You know, that kind <laughs> of. stuff. We've got other so crimes with Batman aren't apparently on the to begin with. <laughs> or mental health facilities. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they need some of those.
3: That's fair.
0: I think that's uh, why I, in my core, prefer the, the cartoon Batman, which is not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to side kind of with, uh, with what Jessica was saying about priorities, because like when I was playing Planchette, for example, in The Faded Tales, she's not really out to save the world for everyone else. She lives there.
1: Very Deadpool. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like, yeah. I live here too, so I'd rather it not
1: be destroyed. What movie is that from? Somebody said, like, why are you doing this? Guardians of the Galaxy. I live here. Yeah, maybe it is.
4: And a lot of the moral quandaries that the party runs across are going to be solved much quickly and much more, quote unquote, efficiently for game times. Okay, we need this thing. Let's just send the thief to steal it. Mm -hmm. There's no, well, how are we going to do this? We have to negotiate with this person. It's just, nope, I'm going to break in and we'll have this handled in 20 minutes, you know?
3: It also gets into the reverse of, uh, while that seems like the quicker and drier way, a lot of times that comes with the added complications where it's, well, we've stolen this, so now people are after us because this is stolen property, et cetera. Murdering people isn't necessarily, it's the fastest way, but it's not necessarily the most efficient.
4: I didn't say you announced that you stole it. You can sneak in and steal something without <laughs> we're, we're being caught. We're not calling. doing
2: a Phantom Thieves of Hearts kind of a thing. You know? Oh, man. Got to put yeah. the calling card out.
3: The last thing I would contribute pertaining towards playing evil characters is uh, just just be mindful of the social contract. Just mm. be mindful that when you sit down at the table, you're sitting down with the table with the understanding that everyone's trying to have fun. So if you are playing that one evil character and it's like, well, I'm an evil character, so, you know, you get into the trap of the chaotic neutral player, even though that's neutral, not evil where it's, I'm going to do this because this is what my character wants to do, even if it's gonna cause issues for the other players, or you get into the like, oh, well, I'm just gonna stab this guard because I'm evil. Ha ha. Even though it's like, well, now the rest of us have to live with the consequence that you just murdered the captain of the guard.
1: Oh, well, that's fair.
3: Yeah, <laughs> but basically be be aware that like, especially when it gets to things like stealing from the party and stuff like that, Aww. where it's like, well, I'm playing my alignment because I'm chaotic evil. Yeah. You're in a social contract that everyone's supposed to be having fun.
4: If you're playing an evil character, there's a reason why your character is with these people and why they are working with them. They're not going to sabotage
1: their allies. Yeah, you can
2: basically <laughs> assume you need them for some reason. So they are be- they are more wor- they are worth more to you alive than dead.
1: Or heck, yeah. you might even like them.
0: Mhm. Yeah, Maybe. they could be your priority thing. Evil people can have friends. Maybe they work under your, chink-
3: your
2: the chinks in your armor and they get to
3: your teeny
0: tiny little heart.
3: It is never fun or entertaining, and I've, I've heard this come up so many times, it is never fun or entertaining to play the evil character to go through the entire adventure path or whatever it is and then be like, oh, and by the way, and then in the last session, I betrayed all of the other players and then I stole oh. the evil thing for myself and then oh. I became the evil overlord. It's like, okay, well that's great for you and sure it was a fun twist, but or it was a t- fun twist for you, but you ruined it for everyone else. It's yeah, the yeah. social yeah. It just ruined,
4: ruined the entire adventure path or entire game for everyone else you're playing with. Don't be that kind of player evil character player.
3: So again, yeah. just be mindful that everyone is there to have fun and don't play an evil character in a way that other people are not going to have fun.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mike ends his email with, thanks for the many hours of entertainment and here's to many hours more. Mike from Toronto.
2: Oh, thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you. And with that, we shall move on to my favorite part, the casting.
3: The casting. Oh, the casting. yeah.
0: Who are we casting today?
3: All right. So go ahead and bounce me a D12. We're down to D12. The off, underutilized D12.
1: Oh, man, I'm ready. I don't even know who else is on this list, but I'm ready. Nine.
3: Nine. Should be interesting. Today, we are going to be casting White Estrid. White Estrid is the current king, the term is used for both genders in the lands of the Lenorm Kings, of the city of Halgrim. An albina with white hair and pale blue eyes, she is a fierce warrior known for conducting daring raids. She gained much notoriety and renown in 4704 when she led a daring raid of 15 long ships on the Nidalees port of Nisroch, then broke a Chalaxian blockade at the Arch of Aroden and triumphantly pulled up into port at Absalom to sell her treasure. She became a Lenorm king in 4704 when she defeated the Lenorm known as Tongue with the help of a mighty weapon she claims to have received from Earth Spirits, a statement which angered the other rulers of her land. Unlike them, she refused to mount the stuffed Lenorm in her throne room, but instead kept him as her thrall, a decision that caused the other Lenorm kings to scoff. Tongue refuses to say much, other than he was defeated in combat by Estrada and bargained his life for servitude. is somewhat of a sore subject and largely avoided in conversation, being simply referred to as Estrid's pet when it is necessary to discuss him. But his presence greatly increased Halgrim's defenses.
1: Mm, This is hard.
3: Yeah, this is going to be a very
2: hard one.
0: Ooh, so I think I'm going to go for it. And I think (laughs) Jessica may get mad at me. Will I? I'm going to go for Katie Sackhoff. I am
1: not. Okay. Okay. Okay, Because
0: Katie Sackhoff is a bad. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, yeah. not, yeah. I, I love her and I was like I needed somebody who like was like sh- strong and just like take no crap and uh, everything I've seen Katie Sackhoff in she is that person.
3: She was a wonderful choice for Bo-Katan.
0: Yes. Yes she was. Mm-hmm.
2: And I've seen her in several roles where she's buff so.
0: Oh, yeah she buff AF. Oh yeah she, that's kind of whatever. her things. I don't think she gets enough roles where she gets to be diverse and everything because she has a really good range like I, I do think she was one of the best parts of that really crappy haunting in Connecticut sequel we saw. <laughs> Fair.
2: Yeah, I liked her a lot in uh, Battlestar Galactica.
0: Yeah, she was great in that. So I am going with Katie Sackoff. Cool. That's a good yes. choice.
3: All right. Well, unfortunately, my uh, my first three picks were all already cast was for Charlize someone Theron, else. Charlize Theron one of them. Charlize Theron was <laughs> my very yeah. first. That was she the was one I was first. going for too. Alicia Vikander was my second.
0: Nope, she's already been picked. She's Rose.
3: She's Rose. Yeah. And so instead, I'm going to go with Lena Headey. Headey or Hetty? I
1: think it's Hedy. Oh.
3: Lena Headey. Uh, many people, of course, would know her as Cersei from Game of Thrones, although I also very much loved her from Dread. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the idea of her being this, you know, this intimidating leader, that kind of is almost her shtick at this yeah. point of being powerful, intimidating lady.
2: I was going to say, yeah, she was in 300.
3: She pulls off blonde very well.
0: You see, the first thing I ever saw her in was the live-action Jungle Book back in the day. Huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah.
3: She's a phenomenal actress. Again, uh, just even looking at the the artwork for uh, White Estrid, she has that jawline, that fantastic strong jaw. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah.
0: I think S- Kate Sackhoff could take her. <laughs> I,
3: mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what roles that they've recently buffed themselves up for. That's,
1: but... true. That's true. That's a good choice. That is a good choice. That is a yep. good choice. All right. I'm going to go German, I think, for Diane Kruger. Oh. Who may not be as buff as Katie Sackhoff, but she has cheekbones that could cut glass, and she just has a very sharp kind of look to her that's just super fierce. She was Helen of Troy. Astrid needs that.
3: Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Good choice. Good choice.
2: Okay. I'm I'm probably skewing a little bit younger than the rest of you guys. I'm going to go for Sophie Turner. Because I, she, she looks good blonde, because she, I think, normally keeps her hair blonde. But oh, also, yeah. she has that, like, she can do that, like, you know, regal bearing thing. She might just need to work out a little bit more,
3: you know. Yeah.
0: She's got RBF.
3: Say, yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> she need to buff up a bit, but I, uh, Yeah, she needs to buff say. up a bit, but yeah.
0: Hmm. These are all
4: good choices. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so it took me a minute, but I'm going to go with Jamie Alexander. Ooh. She's Sif from the yeah. Thor movies is what most people are going Oh, yeah, gonna oh, yeah. yeah. She, we already know she's, she can fight, you know, she does a good oh, job yeah. in those movies and she looks good. in that kind of Olfin Scandinavian type clothing. So win, <laughs> win. I haven't
2: seen her That's blonde, true. but uh, yeah, I haven't seen her blonde either. You can
4: search blonde and she definitely has done it.
3: Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, wow.
4: So I say there, there's wigs and uh, technically <laughs> she'd be white hair, not blonde if it's, she's an albino, but you know, true. the character is an albino, but yeah. Yep. So Jamie Alexander.
3: My third option, by the way, was not cast, but I decided not to. Uh, 80s Linda Hamilton.
4: Uh, oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Linda Hamilton.
3: God. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Young 10-year-old Rick fell in love with her the first time I saw Terminator. Oh, <laughs> for her sure. Her and Sigourney yeah. Weaver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sigourney. Yep.
0: Well, you guys have a pretty hard decision this week, I was going to say, think, this is a tough one. Those are some, those oh, are yeah. some really awesome bad Mm-hmm. So... Have fun choosing. Go to our Reddit and vote. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I believe that wraps us up for this episode. I was going to say this evening, but, like, I don't know when you're (laughs) listening to it. Uh,
3: (laughs) Could be any time.
0: With that said, bye, PathFolk.
3: Could be 50 years from now. Enjoy your future. Bye, PathFolk. (laughs) Goodbye, PathFolk.
4: Bye-bye.
3: Good luck.